Verulam Sports. Hello again and welcome to Verulam Sports Podcast. This is Tony Rice alongside the voice of the old Albanians, the on-form pundit of rugby, the scholar of the game that is our friend, Mr. Brian Quinn. Brian, how are you? Keeping well? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, Tony. Yourself? Yeah, you know what, Brian? Um, still got two arms, two legs and uh, the capacity to breathe, so can't really grumble. Not bad. Wonderful. Glad to hear it. Well, listen, lots to unpack, isn't there? Um, but before we move to England's fortunes uh, last weekend, let's focus first and foremost on Ireland uh, winning as we thought they would comprehensively against Italy. Six tries they racked up. A 30th consecutive loss now in the Six Nations Italy. I don't think, Brian, you and I can really elaborate further on what we've said in previous podcasts. So let's focus in on the Irish. We expected a win. We expected a bonus point when they delivered precisely that. But what did you make of the performance with seven changes made by Farrell's men? It was steady. It was sensible. It was more than workmanlike. It was disciplined. It was far more than Italy could manage. So, as, as a building block, yes, it was fine. There, there was nothing absolutely outstanding. There, there were good performances, really, from, from the whole side, and the coach can be pleased with that. Uh, he will tweak everything. It's probably a wonderful situation for a coach to be in. We won. We did things okay. There were mistakes. There were things we should have done which we didn't, so we can work on that, which means I can justify my pay, and we can get on with improving the Ireland performance. So, so Farrell will be pleased with that, I believe. Yeah, I think that's a really fair appraisal. Um, eight from eight from the boot, from the sure-footed Sexton for him, an 18-point haul. But I think more importantly, uh, obviously we discussed last week whether he will be the 10 come World Cup time. He is the man incumbent. But to get through the 80 minutes, I think, was important, psychologically, as much as anything, for the uh, sometimes plagued by injury Sexton. Yes, yes, he, he'll he be pleased with that on a personal basis. He never likes coming off the field, as we saw the week before. It, it just, uh, it's, it's not in his nature. Uh, he's combative, as all the best tens are. So, good luck to him the next time out. Absolutely. Uh, Brian, I just want to quickly talk Lions Watch with you. Uh, obviously, we're touching wood that there will be Lions Tour this year. And a man who maybe wasn't necessarily on the tip of many people's tongues for Lions contention, but who's playing himself right into the mix, is Ireland's uh, versatile Ted Byrne. Uh, a lock, but converted to six, blindside, and had an almost man-of-the-match type performance. Uh, tackle machine all over the park. I think he's a real contender in what is a very competitive uh, back row uh, for Lions uh, places. Ireland have a big, long history in producing very, very tasty back row forwards. Uh, I, I still remember with relish the performance of Fergus, performances of Fergus Flattery uh, and the humour of the man. The fact that if you were, if you had the ball and you had a different coloured jersey on to Flattery, you were in some serious danger. Ireland have, have done this through the years, and we now have the latest crop. And Byrne, he's another one who fits right in. So, yeah, we have a Lions tour hopefully coming up. And he wants to stand up and be counted. He's doing a good job of doing that. Again, overall, 
a very precise, uh, efficient performance by Ireland. Um, again, dominating Italy, but who doesn't? 30 consecutive Six Nations defeats for Italy now. Can't really say anything further. I think, though, there's a fair few things we can say about the other game last weekend. And before we get into too many details, first and foremost, Brian, I want to heap praise on the Welsh. Um, they were under pressure, as we mentioned, coming into the tournament. I think Wayne Pivek's men only had three wins out of their previous ten. They've now won three from three, a triple crown. And for the first time in their history, they put up 40 points against the English. 40-24, Brian, you called the Welsh by five. They exceeded that. But they were, I think, let's set aside and put a bubble. Things we'll debate and discuss. More than fair for the results. Credit to the Welsh. You can only play what's in front of you, and that's exactly what Pivak's side are doing. They are good enough. Uh, there's very little luck in, in rugby, and they are good enough to be where they are. They are worthy, uh, the, the uh, Triple Crown champions. Um, more power to them for the, the history they've had over the last 18 months or so. Uh, can't take it away. Wouldn't want to if I could. It, uh, it's pleasing. We've, we've said before now that uh, a weak Wales is no use to European rugby, and that's absolutely true. Well, Wales are now building something rather good. When many pundits, and at times myself included, did not think that Pivak had it there, he thought that perhaps he'd lost the, the dressing room. Uh, obviously, he hasn't, because nobody wants to complain about success, and that's right where Wales are at the moment. And Good, good luck to them. Up in the table, three from three. Triple crown win is just two games away from another Grand Slam for Wales. It would be, I think, if they did that, their third in five years, which is amazing. Uh, lots of rugby ahead. Um, Brian, it's, it would be wrong of us not to discuss the controversial elements of this game. Uh, I think the referee, Pascal uh, Gauzet, has actually um, stated to some of his superiors that he might have been askew on a few decisions. But I want to go back to the first try. First and foremost, with England's discipline, we're going to debate that in a little bit more detail, once again was atrocious at the weekend. And I think they were very fortunate to retain 15 men on the park. And I know that he uh, spoke to Farrell and, you know, they took a little breather, what have you. And I say this much, credit to Bigger and the Welsh. And they reacted. They got the, it was announced the time was back on and England were caught napping. And I know there's controversy about that. I get it. But for my money, uh, you know, there's no, if you've been infringing as England had consistently, why should you benefit from, you know, a water break, et cetera, et cetera. And massive credit for bigger for having the presence of mind to pick out that lethal finisher um, in the corner. Um, Josh Adams, who I think now has um, 15 in 30 for Wales. So that's my two pennies, Brian, but your thoughts on that first try, which has had uh, a degree of controversy surrounding it? Well, some of the people uh, who I respect most in Welsh rugby have said categorically that they would be livid if they were feral in, in those circumstances. Uh, I can understand that. However, I wasn't on the field at the time, but courtesy of modern technology, we can all hear what went on between the referee uh, and 
and Owen Farrell. It's, it's a simple fact that the problem was A, England were asleep, B, England's discipline was rubbish, because if it wasn't rubbish, we, they wouldn't be in the situation they were in. Wales did exactly what you would expect any top quality opposition to do. They took advantage uh, of the main chance, uh, and they wrong-footed their opponents, uh, blindsided their opponents, if you will, and as a rugby skipper, I've done that time and time again and had it done to me time and time again, so no complaints there. Uh, England were slow to get back in. Uh, that's where, where they should have been. You have to be on your guard at all times. You never run backwards when a penalty, sorry, you never run turning your back when a penalty is awarded against you. You run facing your opposition because you don't know what those little swines are going to do. Uh, so that's that. Having said that, um, I'm sure we will come on to the referee and exactly what he did later on. So I'm going to leave that for that, if that's all right with you. Yep. Uh, England, England's performance generally was better than it has been. Disciplinary, it certainly was not. They were they were tighter around the park. They came back from uh, was it seventeen three down, I believe it was, uh, to equalise at twenty four all before the wheels fell off the wagon. So they they came back in difficult circumstances against the team that is now the triple crown champion. So we can't uh, we we can't dispel what what Wales have done. They came back to that and they had the momentum to go on to win the game. That they didn't is, is monstrous. It was an opportunity lost, and it must be very worrying for a side, who, uh, for, for a, a management that thinks that they've got one of the best sides in the world. Plainly, England at the moment are not one of the best sides in the world. The coach's job against England is now very simple. Right, well, all we have to do is to wait for them to make a mistake. We'll put normal pressure on them. We will stay away from the referee. We won't talk to him at all. England will do that for us mm. and we will have a, a more powerful position as a result. Uh, so that was it. England's performance was better than it was in, in at least one of the previous two games. It was not good enough by a distance. And world champions, not a hope. Not at the moment and not at this level. And you, you mentioned already the, the Lions tour. How many people who were absolute slot-ins for the Lions' positions are no longer being considered. Don't know. Wait until the next time comes, I suppose. This is it. There's lots ahead. Um, so many points there, but the key one is discipline for me because we mentioned that throughout this tournament. Uh, I think Bob Dwyer, the great uh, Aussie coach, coach the Tigers as well, he kind of gave the ballpark. You don't want an international level be going beyond 10 penalties a game. And England are consistently doing that. And it just means that even if they did have all the momentum in the world, and they don't at the moment, even if they were playing the most progressive rugby in the world, and they're not at the moment, uh, you're always going to be on the back foot and struggling to win at this elite level. And the concern for me, Brian, is that you and I have spoken about it. It's been openly discussed throughout the whole of the rugby world, and yet it hasn't seemingly, and clearly not on the pitch, been addressed. And the question has to be, why? And again, I don't want to circle on individuals. I've got so much respect and admiration for Itoji. Once again, that you, you could have made a, a showreel of Itoji, and he looks to be one of the greatest players on earth, which I believe him to be. But six penalties again alone, Itoji conceded. And that's simply hurting England at the moment, Brian. I wonder, is it just 
too simple to say that the step up from almost no rugby to international level, for instance, to Toji and so many of the Saracens-related stars, is causing this impact? Or does this run much, much deeper than that? There's, uh, commentators are mixed, it seems to me. There's not much wrong, but there's enough wrong. Uh, he keeps getting pinged. Uh, I remember talking to my son about this, uh, must have been 18 months ago. And he said, ah, yes, Marrow, the penalty machine. Now, he spoke then as both an OA and as a supporter of Saracens. So he wasn't exactly putting any opposition uh, mm -hmm. thoughts about. Uh, I believe Marrow Otoji is an intelligent enough fellow to work it out for himself, and eventually he will. He knows he's not helping England's cause, or at least him being pinged so many times is not helping England's cause. There are two tries he could have scored, didn't quite get there uh, this particular season, uh, because of his pressure on, on yes. opposition nine. That opposition pressure has got to stay because if it doesn't stay it will take an awful lot away from the game. Nigel Owens in the week said well coaches they do a lot of research on their opponents and they do. Referees do a lot of research on the teams they're going to referee including individuals in it. Now I don't know quite how I feel about that because I, I do believe having been a referee for long enough that you should whatever comes up on the field you can't go in with any preconceived mm -hmm. notion. I don't know if Gauzier or whatever his name was did that, um, but well, all right, I'll switch the subject to him. That was the worst refereeing performance I've seen at an international level, probably ever. Probably since a referee in uh, a previous Lions game in New Zealand said, penalty to us. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, it was absolutely monstrous. It was, uh, there were things which happened which were uh, against the laws, uh, the, the thing about the, the try, had Lewis Rees-Damit held onto that pass or interception, whatever it was, it was the try all day long, that's fine. He didn't. Uh, he batted the ball forward, it yep. hit his thigh. By that stage, whether it's gone backwards, forwards or whatever, it went forward slightly to that point, he then lost contact. So if it hit his thigh and he then caught it again, he's still in control. That's yes. fine. Not a problem there, but it went to somebody else or the ground, doesn't matter what it is. And at that point, it became a knock-on, by definition. Indeed. And also, you know, sometimes... That's, that's sometimes... Since you've raised that one, and that was the second glaring element of controversy, for me, quite simply, the key element of that is players on the field know better than anybody and you just simply had to look at young Lewis Rees-Zamet's face. It was a look of anguish because he knew he, all he had to do was hold on to the pass and either he'd sprint home or give it to his mate and it'd be a surefire, no debate, try. And that look of anguish alone. And of course, all the Welsh players around him also uh, had that, that, that look. But here's the thing. It was ruled a try on the field. And then they looked into it. But goodness gracious me, Brian, that for me, I'm, I'm flabbergasted by. I'm flabbergasted by. And I am struggling to comprehend even now uh, some, uh, you know, five days after the event. Well, that man uh, in my, this is just my view, I hasten to add, that man should not referee another international. Neither should the people around him 
who advised him on that matter because there was some serious advice there. They shouldn't be involved either because obviously they don't know what they're talking about. The worst thing that happened, and we, we won't even bother about the other, the other thing with, with telling uh, Owen Farrell to, to talk to his men and then not allowing him the, the means to do that. The worst thing he did was there was no empathy with the players whatsoever. Mm. No empathy. That's with Wales, with England, nothing. Now, it's not a game for the whistle. It's a game when 30 guys plus with their bodies on the line you are there as a referee to help that happen safely, primarily, and within the laws. Um, he did not do that, and he certainly didn't add any sort of personality to it to help the players. Not one bit. He should not referee again. Again, I think that's a fair appraisal. He himself, I believe this week, has stated to his superiors that he was incorrect. However, however... Last week, Brian, when you predicted a correctly a Wales victory, I sort of went against it just for the uh, just for the fun of it. Uh, my thing was that if England could keep it tight, not tight in the game style, because we we're all hoping for more expansive stuff for England, but tight on the scoreline, then I felt England would have the capacity to move away. And much as we've discussed discipline. The fact that they were not only unable to do that, but as you've identified, trailing as they were 17-14 at the half, then uh, behind again, getting it back up to 24 with the momentum. At that stage, I felt that uh, England, even in recent times, have, that, that's almost been their MO, their modus operandi. And I felt that they would have then the edge, the mental edge. And that was lacking. And Brian, for me, those two twin factors, uh, which come down to cultural levels, again, I would argue, discipline and then failure in the light of possible win, for me, they're the two issues that I see with England at the moment. And for so long, they've been there, teaching away for all to see. But England have kind of been papering over the cracks. I feel this tournament's exposed some of those cracks. And why on earth do you think that is the case? Or is it is the case, as I've said, that this is just the reality coming home to roost? Yes, it is the case. Uh, they, they've lost so much in the way of opportunity. Um, th there are so many rude things I could say, but I can't on air, and neither will I. But um, <laughs> Ever the pro, but I love it. <laughs> if, if we put this, this fact out, they... they could well. They had the momentum at 24 East. There was no doubt of that. Uh, Wales were not looking the best side at that moment. They were made to look the best side solely by England's attitude uh, and by the things that they did. I, I go back often enough to Sir Clive Woodward, uh, not personally, he won't even give me the time of day, of course, but the, to the things he said and the things that he's done. He introduced something in the England side of 20 years ago, teacup. An acronym, Thinking Clearly Under Pressure. Yeah. Now, why can England no longer do that? The players these days are bigger, fitter, stronger, apparently more intelligent, and they now do it 100% full-time for very decent salaries. So let them be worth the salary. Let them just carry out something which w was initially inaugurated before some of them were born. 
um, courtesy of that nice Mr. Woodward. Let them think clearly under pressure. Let them have a plan. Let them communicate. Let them both say to the, themselves and each other, we won't do that again, or we've got to do more of this, depending on what it is. Let them want to play only in the opposition half. Uh, none of these things are England doing at the moment. So you're absolutely right. There's so much which is missing. And when you look at the quality of players that are involved in, in this shambles, which is basically what it is at the moment, uh, it would make you want to cry. I want to say this much. Um, I'm still banging the drum, Brian, for Sam Simmons to come in. I will say this much. I thought Vunapola at eight had his best game for some time. Uh, but at the moment, Simmons is absolutely a man on fire at Exeter. Again, 11 plus tries uh, in the Gallagher Premiership. Light years ahead of his nearest contender for top try scorer. A workman like all over the park. A tackle machine and a leader of men. I'm not saying he should come in as skipper, but I'm saying for goodness sake, get this on-fire man into your team. I don't think it's going to make a one-man difference. That's naive. But I will say this much. I think this is a team that needs a breath of fresh air and a few changes being made. And surely, surely, Simmons can only strengthen this current makeup of England. I don't think it's personal I don't, or personnel. I don't think it's positional either. Uh, I also don't believe who you draft into the side of the squad. How can that help when the ethos is wrong? It will only serve to... If, if uh, a mediocre player joins a team of internationals who are absolutely on fire, it drags the game, which he didn't think he had, out of the tyro. This man, who has never played at that level, suddenly becomes a superstar. But the opposite is also true. Mm. When a great player joins something which is really rather average, he can't shine because there's nothing to shine with. It's a team game, not an individual one. And I, I worry that that might happen. Simmons is all over an England player. Never mind England. He'd walk into most international setups. Uh, and so would various others, but we, we won't bother with, with those just for the moment. Uh, the ethos is wrong. It has to be changed. The, the way that the team is being taught, because as we've said before, it's always a management problem. The raw material's there. It's not being used right. And here's the question then on that. Eddie Jones, as I say, you know, let's, let's put it into context. He's led England to a Rugby World Cup final. He's claimed... Um, three Six Nations titles in, in his six years at the helm. He turned England around. He took us on that almost uh, world record run of wins initially. But all that being said, he has a certain way of going about things, which is, I think, fair to say, politely rigid. Does he have the capacity, I wonder, Brian, to acknowledge the issues and accept that changes culturally are imperative now? Or is he so committed to his uh, methodology, which has been successful, that he is not the man to adjust and adapt those ethos, philosophical coaching issues that are clearly there for all to see. 
Well, he was the man who single-handedly, I would suggest, dragged Japan out of, out of nothing to a side very, very, very well worth looking at, uh, at the very least. In his current ten tenure, uh, and we're looking at two World Cup campaigns here, he's overseen the best, mm -hmm. which was the defeat of New Zealand in, in the semi-final. He's also overlooked, uh, arguably, uh, sorry, overseen arguably the worst, which was when Scotland overturned a 34-point deficit in something like 20 minutes at Twickenham, at Twickenham, Fortress Twickenham. Now, that's the best and the worst. He seemed rather bemused by, by that. Uh, I, I don't see what's, what's bemusing. The, the rugby is still a very simple game. And you have to put pressure on your opponents. You then have to keep pressure on your opponents <laughs> because even though you're 34 points up, you're still playing against one of the best six sides in the world. And you have to respect your opponents enough that they, if you give them a chance, can and will come back. And by God, they did. And that day they nearly won. Now, there have been other debacles as well. I would suggest that the, the last 15 minutes of last Saturday's was also a debacle for mm. England. Wales took their, their opportunities. That's no more and no less than you have to do. Uh, Wayne Pivak was quite right. He, he wasn't over the moon about the performance of his team. But they've got the Triple Crown now. And they certainly have their sights set on, on the Grand Slam. Um, which they didn't have two matches ago. They have taken advantage of everything which has been thrown their way, two yellow cards and a rubbish disciplined performance uh, by both England and the referee of, of last weekend. Uh, and they're riding the heat. They're doing what they're paid to do, taking advantage and making sure the pressure is on the opponents, not on themselves. More power to Wales. Let's all try and do that. I think you made some fantastic points, Brian, as is your way. Um, I want to conclude by focusing in on the Welsh. Uh, again, triple crown winners, and that was not many pundits' choice of that coming into this tournament. So credit to them. They're still hunting down a potential Grand Slam. Um, a total team performance. Credit, of course, we've mentioned, and heat praise on George North. Uh, but two tyros that I really would love your take on. Uh, we talk about Celtic Storm, and these guys are almost the embodiment of that. Uh, Falatau in the back row, putting in a man-of-the-match performance. And, of course, the most capped man in international rugby, who is ever green and ever gold, it would seem for me, Alan Wynne-Jones. Two Tyros, two stars. Your thoughts on their titanic efforts in Wales's biggest ever victory over England, 40-24 as it was last weekend. To me, Alan Wynne just gets better and better, uh, like a decent wine perhaps even a cheese. Uh, his, his performances are titanic. Remember, he's in his mid-30s now. He's, he's not a spring chicken. Uh, and he really doesn't care. Like the very best of sportsmen or sportswomen, he will go on and on and on until he can't do it anymore. And there's no sign of that happening. He does get better. But, of course, he also gains more experience as time goes on mm -hmm. and he can pass this to younger people. And that gives a lovely, warm feeling in a team environment, both on and off the field. It instills confidence. Bearing in mind that George North and Alan Wynne had nearly 250 caps between them, starting mm -hmm. out 
figure. That is an astonishing figure. Uh, you mentioned Tyro, certainly George, when he started, was exactly that, the, the youngster at uh, 18, wasn't it? He was indeed. Uh, he's now 28 with 100 caps. 28. He's got maybe four or five or more years in front of him yet. I hope he makes it to the one and a half. Uh, I believe he will. Uh, it will certainly, and we haven't even talked about people like Liam Williams, indeed. still from one of the best players in Europe. Um, another shoe-in for, for the Lions side. Um, it, that, that bit of it is looking exciting. But for Wales, they have a grand slam to go for now. They've got Italy. Uh, they would be hugely unlikely to dicker about with a side, I, I would think. Uh, however, I, I will wait and see what Pivak does with that. Um, and then, of course, the big one at the end. So, well, uh, Wales... Wales have it to lose at the moment, and they're heading steaming for it right now. Absolutely. Lots of questions for England to answer. Lots of soul-searching. Wales, the Triple Crown winners, going in the opposite direction more positively. Uh, Brian, I look forward to discussing and previewing uh, the next rounds uh, later in the week. But for today, I really value, as always, your time, your company, and your erudition. Have yourself a quality rest of the weekend, and uh, keep well, keep safe. Thanks, Tony. Exactly the same to you. Look forward to talking to you. Bye-bye. All the best.